there, and welcome to another episode of Scopophilia. We are a millennial movie movement. And as always, I'm your host, Becky Teller, here to lead the movement onwards and give you the millennial perspective every week on a new movie. Now, we are almost done season one, which is incredible and amazing and a little unbelievable for me personally. Uh, I'm so glad that so many of you have enjoyed listening and all of those good, warm, fuzzy feelings that I'm starting to feel now that it's getting into the holiday season. And speaking of holidays, today's movie, we are talking about Groundhog's Day. And I'm really excited about this interview for multiple reasons. Uh, The first being that my guest today, Jeremiah Tittle, also known as JT, who has been behind the scenes way, way back when I first was even thinking about doing this show. He's been behind me 100%, always encouraging and always helping out behind the scenes. So a big thank you to him in advance. But additionally, we are talking about this great film, 1993, with Bill Murray. And because the people behind the scenes of this show are so amazing, so good at what they do, and just, I can't say enough good things about them, we have a extra special guest interview after my interview with JT. And I'm not even going to keep it a secret because I'm so excited about it. We have Stephen Toblowski who plays Ned Ryerson in the film, here today to talk about his experience while making the film, his creative process, all of those good things. And so overall, this episode is chocked full of amazing content, if I do say so myself. Uh, Between the fact that I have this amazing conversation with JT about spirituality, about living in the moment, all of these good things, plus this amazing movie, plus Steven Toblowski. I mean, there's not much that you can't love about this episode. So I'm going to stop talking now because we have a long episode in front of us. So buckle up as we kick this episode off with my interview with JT about his favorite film, Groundhog's Day. Enjoy! Scopophilia is the newest thing to hit the market. Defined as deriving aesthetic pleasure from looking at something, it's the new craze sweeping the nation. Taken in large doses, side effects can include an addictive nature to have more film content. If this increase occurs, consult no one and keep listening. Scopophiliacs, and welcome back to another episode of Scopophilia, the podcast. I am, of course, your host, Becky Teller, coming at you again. And I have a very special guest on with me today, Jeremiah Tittle. Hi. Hello. Thank you for having me. Of course. I You've been helping me out a lot with kind of the behind the scenes thing since I'm new to the podcast scene. And I was so dumbfounded that I hadn't even thought to ask you to come on here. So I'm sorry it's taken so long. <laughs> well, I was very upset. Um, <laughs> and this is just, you know, finally, I think is the word that comes to mind. <laughs> I mean, fair. 
absolutely fair. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, um, what is your official title? Because you are, you're in the podcast biz. This is what you do. So let it, let us know a little bit about yourself. Founder and CEO of Native Creative Podcast. So founder, like the founder, like Ray McDonald or whatever. Who, what's the guy's name that started the McDonald's uh, chain? I want to say it's Ronald Ray or McDonald, Roy, but I think you're right. Ronald. Yes. <laughs> Is it Ronald? Yes. It's definitely Ronald. <laughs> he was a clown. Yeah. But he's great with them fries. <laughs> no denying. No denying. He figured out a secret to those he fries. He figured out the fries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's definitely some kind of narcotic going on there that makes me want them at all times. It's pure crack. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um. And you're, we're also family as well. You're my uncle on my mother's side. Um, she says hello, by the way. <laughs> hey, mom. Hey. Hey, sis. <laughs> and, um, and you're in California and I'm over here in Jersey. So we are long distance podcasting during this quarantine. And it's, I mean, it's been a crazy time. How are you holding up? I'm go- I've gone through most of the stages of grief. Um, a lot of bargaining with myself. I don't know who won that bargain. I don't know who wins in a bargain with yourself, but, uh, I think I win actually because I have, I'm eight days sober. So we'll see when this airs, what the status is of, uh, that, if that number is high or low, but I can tell you, uh, I had a rough go of it. A lot of, uh, shaming myself, a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, anger. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A lot of uh, angry runs through the city while not breathing near others or, <laughs> you know, trying to social distance <laughs> while also not turning into a fat person. So no, absolutely. trying my best to be absolutely. healthy. I'm starting to feel a little bit like a mental patient. I'm stuck in one place and I start going on drives like around back roads of my town. Because I'm like, I need to at least leave these four walls. <laughs> I need to yes, see the sunshine to... from other than my window. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's yeah. necessary for yes. sanity to indeed, continue. Indeed. Well, thank you for coming on the show. Absolutely. I asked you, do you have any interest? You said yes. And then I said, well, you need to pick a, a movie that you can talk for about two-ish hours and or your favorite movie. And you picked Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day, baby. Yeah. And so what was it about this film that you were like, this is the one I have to pick? Well, I have to say it's very timely, mm. in my opinion. <laughs> yes. Given what we're going through right now, every day, 6 a.m., we wake up and... I got you, babe. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sunny and Cher. And we're worried about Punxsutawney Phil. <laughs> Maybe that's not the same thing, but we are kind of cooped up inside mm-hmm. all in our homes, staying at home. Um, and it's an oldie but a goodie. Uh, I have to say my true favorite prior to this, and it might have surprised your mom, my sister, that I didn't choose Goonies. I um, was going to say she talks every once in a while about how you used to watch the Goonies on a loop when you guys were kids. So I was a little shocked that you didn't pick Goonies. <laughs> Goonies was the roadmap for me to come out to the West Coast, find a pirate ship. I had it all planned out. Still looking for that pirate ship, but um, you'll find I will it. tell you, we'll find it. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. 
I say we, you're a part of this. <laughs> I'm going to fly out there as soon as this quarantine is lifted. We're going to find it. Just watch out for booby traps. <gasps> watch out for booby traps. That's exactly. the one thing. There's a lot of lessons in these movies, so oh, um, yeah. don't take it lightly. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, so Bill Murray, comedy legend, Andy McDowell's amazing in this, Chris Elliott. Um, those are the major characters, but uh, they it's really all about Bill Murray and Andy McDowell's amazing too. Yeah. What a smile. Oh, um, absolutely. And that hair in her in the movie. Just, <laughs> yeah, the perm or whatever. The perm, it's beautiful. <laughs> it takes you back. How many comedians like Bill Murray, though, have played the weatherman? Because you have Steve Martin in, what is that, L.A. Story or whatever that movie oh, is? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all the best comedians play weathermen at some point, I think. <laughs> Well, and I feel like with weathermen, it's either hit or miss. Like either you get like a good guy weatherman, which I would say Bill Murray is kind of on the cusp of here where he starts out not so great and then he kind of learns lessons. Um, Or you get like the kind of, you know, I'm the weatherman kind of guy and he like thinks he's all that or like is striving for more. I don't know. You know what I mean? It's such a strange profession. Yeah probability of being wrong and in both these movies by the way steve martin's c- completely wrong says <laughs> it's gonna be all sunny in southern california which it usually is which is right. a pretty safe bet and he gets it wrong and it rains and i think he gets fired and then here bill murray in groundhog day also gets it wrong mm-hmm. but there's kind of this uh not to jump too far ahead but bill murray versus the groundhog in a certain sense because yeah. they both have this profession this is the groundhog's time Bill Murray's coming into his lair, his hometown, uh-huh, to try uh-huh. and show him that he's better at the weather predictions. And the groundhog is still, you know, this whole, all the festivities are yep. all for the groundhog. Exactly. So. Well, and they're both named Phil. They're both yes. in the weather game. And you, that scene where he is driving with the groundhog, I quote all the time when I'm in, when like people cut me off in traffic, I'm like, don't drive angry. Don't drive angry. <laughs> it's, I mean, the writing in this is just so like dry, funny, just good old fashioned 90s humor. Very dry, very sarcastic, Bill mm-hmm. is with every Ned Ryerson yes. of the world. <laughs> yeah. Like he's just, and he, uh, like I said, the, the reason that it kind of mirrors our experience right now is all the stages of grief, like Bill Murray goes through many different stages of frustration to relation obviously ultimately comes to uh, um, win the day. Mm-hmm. I don't want to give away what happens yet. I don't want to jump ahead too <laughs> okay, far. But, okay. <laughs> um, I'll let you drive the conversation on the lessons we take from this. But I do feel like we are living in a bit of a Groundhog Day and it's, it's so funny to uh, see it done comedically through this movie. 100%. Um, we are definitely living in a Groundhog Day. All the days are the same. Time is an illusion. Like sometimes I keep having conversations with people and it's like, well, the other day I did this and they go, well, when? Like when in the context of the other day? And I'm like, I, I'm honestly not sure. I've been in quarantine for at least three weeks at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so not quite sure. Yeah. Uh, so what would you say? I mean, we've kind of covered it a little bit, but what would you say is kind of like the shortest synopsis that you would give about this film for someone who's like, I'm thinking about watching Groundhog Day, but I don't know. Well, it's Bill Murray at his finest. Mm-hmm. Um, 
maybe not his best movie, according to the critics, but to <laughs> Jeremiah Tittle, JT here, uh, it's my fave. JT approved. Um, JT approved, um, which is quite an award, something you put on your website. <laughs> but I would say um, the movie captures humanity. It's about um, a person who is more elite in the main character in Bill Murray, a weatherman, Um only works for a couple minutes a day, I'm sure. It's, you know, what are weatherman people like? Yeah. No, I'm sure we've alienated all the weatherman listeners. I, I mean, listen, if they were, if they made it this far, I applaud them. And, you know, you got to go your own way sometimes. <laughs> you got to draw you a line. Go your own way. <laughs> I would have to say Bill Murray, uh, masterclass in this, uh, but the concept is hilarious. And what would you do? The real question is, what would you do if you had the same day? You do it over and over again. In his case, he's kind of in the middle of nowhere. He's in a small town, so he can become a big star. He's already a bit of a star, but uh, take his celebrity stat- status to the next level. Um, you, you try everything. You, you learn piano. You try and uh, sleep with uh, every woman uh, in the town. <laughs> Because you learn, you know, what kind of ice cream they like and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, of course, in this case, he ultimately falls in love with his counterpart, the producer of uh, at the TV station that comes along for this trip. Andy McDowell plays um, that part. And she's just lovely and happy at just how cute and quaint Punxsutawney is. Well, mm-hmm. Bill Murray wants nothing to do with it and <laughs> wants to get out of there as soon as possible. Then in comes the, uh, the great uh, winter storm. It keeps them in Punxsutawney. Um, they go and, you know, a cop says, you know, if you want to freeze to death, you can keep going through here. Not to get, I'm giving too many details here, too much minutia. <laughs> but I'll tell you. So once the thing is, like, it, it's a microcosm of, like, the, this movie because so Bill Murray goes the first time and once he realizes, oh, we're never going to make it back home to Pittsburgh, um, so I'm just going to stay in town. So, mm-hmm. you know, the producer and, and the camera guy, uh, Chris Elliott, they're like, all right, I'm, we're, you ready to head back to Pittsburgh? And he's like, no, I'm not going to go with you. So there's all <laughs> kinds of little decisions that changes his life. So when he does learn how to ice sculpt and <laughs> all the various, uh, various things he does, he, he robs a bank. I mean, everything you would do if you've mm-hmm. given the chance. And also you, you just get bored. To the extent that uh, you really uh, are so frustrated, he gets so frustrated, but he finds true love. Yeah. And he falls in love with Andy McDowell. And the way he gets out of this cursed, um, you know, never ending day mm-hmm. uh, that keeps repeating, waking up at 6 a.m., whether he dies uh, falling off right. a cliff in a truck or what have you, <laughs> um, it comes down to. You know, he erodes his ego and he takes all these skills that he's uh, built up that to be impressive, but he's no longer living in the ego. And once he's relaxed, then he finally gets the girl. And it's no longer about what ice cream flavor uh, she likes. It's mm-hmm. about um, him being a good person and eroding all the facade over the course of who knows how many days he attempted <laughs> before finally mastering. It's all about love. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well done. I mean, Thank this you. this film has so much going on. And I mean, it is timeless, 100%. Because I mean, you even have this past Super Bowl, which was 2020 Super Bowl, right? 
Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. sports, so I'm not. Eh. Corona Bowl, I'm calling it. Yeah. Yes, Corona Bowl. Um, they they brought back Bill Murray to do the Groundhog Day commercial with the Jeep, I believe. Oh right. Oh my gosh! And it came on. I was like, Oh my god, it's Groundhog Day! And granted, all my millennial <laughs> friends are like, What? <laughs> um but yeah i mean it's it's funny it's dry and it really goes through all the stages of like how any sane person put into this situation would go about it it's okay first let me try and change things okay that's not working let me try and have fun that's not working let me try and get the girl in any way i can that's not working let me try to kill myself that's not working I mean, it's it's got a little bit of something for everyone, I would say. Yeah, it's a fun game to play in your head, these queries, if you allow your imagination to go. I mean, obviously, he's confined to this little town in Pennsylvania mm-hmm. where the most popular individual is a groundhog, <laughs> a rodent. Um, but, um, you know, I mean, I, I just think that, uh, you know, just the... The reason I gravitated towards it when I was younger was not just the humor of uh, Bill Murray and the story. I think it was uh, it was about the what ifs, the glee that I felt having my imagination run wild and really consider what would I do? Right? Like, do you learn all these other languages? Do you learn how to play the piano? Do you, um, you know, I mean, there's one time where he's just drinking a bottle of whiskey and watching Jeopardy oh, and yeah. rattling off every, you know, Everyone's every very impressed. answer. <laughs> and all the old people sitting around at the bed and breakfast are like, you're a genius. Right. Like, everyone thinks he's a genius walking around this town the yeah. second half of this movie or at least <laughs> the second two thirds of the movie, I think. He's just continued to know everybody's question before they've asked it. He's uh-huh. answering it and... Um, it's like, wow, this guy is really uh, psychic right. and <laughs> a genius. Exactly. Well, and also it's such, it. I think one of the funniest elements of this film is that it's Groundhog Day. Like of all of the holidays you could have picked, it's almost, it's almost on par with picking like Arbor Day, for example. It's like a day that like, it comes around every once, like once a year or so and it, it, but sometimes it kind of flies under the radio, radar. It's not like Christmas or like Halloween or one of those. So it's the fact that it's also a holiday that people don't aren't like, unless you're from Pennsylvania, people aren't like, oh my gosh, it's Groundhog Day. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not, <laughs> yeah, that actually adds to the comedy of it for sure. Yeah. Uh, the whole idea that it's uh, this lesser holiday. That's, uh, <laughs> that's the, the focus of the whole thing. Right. So what would you say, and this may be a hard question, what would you say is your favorite part of this movie? Favorite part of the movie? I think it, I think it is the end. It's that last day mm-hmm. because he gets in his own way, Bill Murray does. Mm-hmm. Phil does, the weatherman yeah. <laughs> he's playing. Uh, <laughs> he gets in his own way in that he is trying so hard in all mm-hmm. these areas. Um, but it is something where he's so humble because he's been through so many days, so many days of people being enamored. Yes, he had to work hard because, you know, it's so funny. The music 
uh, teacher, the piano teacher says, yeah, it's his first day. He's <laughs> like, he's doing uh, Bach. He's yeah. doing Mozart and whatever. <laughs> yeah. um, piano pieces. So, um, you know, when he's just rattling up twinkly fingers up and down that piano um, <laughs> and then, and just, but he's no longer, he now he really appreciates the other people who have helped him. He appreciates Andy McDowell for who she is over the many days he's gotten to know her, even though they just started working together from her perspective. Right. So I don't know how much it was him just throwing his hands up in exhaustion from trying to <laughs> get to the bottom of everything, including Andy McDowell. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, it is something that his ego and his uh, being eroded and his humility when he does all these amazing things saves people. Uh, didn't he get like a cat out of the tree when the firemen were trying to get it down yeah. or something? <laughs> and he had the way to do that right. that even the firemen didn't know how to do because he had tried for seven days or however right. many days it took him to figure it out. But like he mastered that town. He's already such a charming, like in he has this like charming way about him and, mm-hmm. and he's a, a good love interest in a lot of different movies, uh, Ghostbusters included. Oh yeah. Uh, even though he's cheesy, he's, you know, uh-huh. uh-huh. but he's always like his humor is self-aware. You yes. Know? <clears throat> but in the case of uh, that last day, you know, when he does all those amazing things and he's always on, says the right thing at the right time, it's he just has this look on his face like everything's so effortless. Right. <laughs> um, and he's not trying, I think, also on the love side of things. It's it's something that's grown to the point that I think uh, Andy McDowell can feel it. And and she, you know, falls asleep in his arms at the end of the night and the rest is uh, history, you know? Yeah. They're gone. They're all gone. Do you know what today is? No, what? <laughs> today is tomorrow. It happened. You're here. I'm here. Bill, why won't you like this? Last night you just fell asleep. <laughs> it was the end of a very long day. Uh-uh. Is there anything I can do for you today? Hmm. I'm sure I could think of something. And it kind of like breaks the spell almost of like, okay. I finally have kind of let go and I'm, you know, appreciating things for what they are. I'm appreciating, you know, Andy McDowell, Rita, um, you know, all these things. And it, it somehow reverses whatever magic has been put on him to kind of return to his timeline, essentially. Because that's the other thing is there's no actual, like, explanation. It's not like he was cursed or... You know, it's not like there was some kind of magic that was involved to create this. It just kind of happened. And we all kind of accept it of like, okay, this is we have suspended disbelief in that this is something that is happening to this person. Yeah, I wonder if these days there are movies, there probably are, and I'm just not thinking of them, but that don't 
You know, I think ex- movies that don't give you the explanation are better sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, that's more art, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Definitely Leaving more theory. It open. <laughs> yes, definitely more theory going on there of like, let's really, let's really dig deep into this one. <laughs> you know, it's really funny. I was thinking about is uh, Bill Murray doing, you know, how he treats the weather reports yeah. after he realizes it's all futile and will continue to repeat. Yeah. Um, and like some of the weather reports are just like, he's like, why am I even here? And then sometimes he doesn't even make it to, like after a while, he doesn't even make it to the, um, you know, I think it, what, what I think is funny about it is that he recognizes the futility of his job. Mm-hmm. Like if we don't know that tomorrow, if we know that tomorrow doesn't exist rather, um, what would we do? Would we still show up for our job and spend mm-hmm. eight hours at a desk or in your case, Going nowhere at all and doing nothing. Just kidding. That's just me being rude. You were the host of Scopophilia. You were the you host. Came, you came onto my show. <laughs> you, you bring this you kind of talk with me. Unbelievable. Sass mouth. <laughs> Banned for life. Banned for life. This is the only episode you get. Like, Can I be executive producer? What's my title? Oh, we don't have to figure that out. <laughs> Do our off-the-air conversations yeah. on the air. Depending on how this interview goes, we're going to have a nice <laughs> yes. long conversation afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> you will determine that once yeah. you've passed my test. Groundhog Day. Talk Groundhog about it for two Day. hours. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Well, I have to say uh, that this movie just has so many gifts. But yeah, I think that that's the lesson I keep coming back to. I think is uh, pretty special is... Uh, it's really just once he, he all the rough edges built up from kind of the, the grind. Mm-hmm. And then when you remove someone from the obligation of that grind of the day continuing, it's like, what would you do? You just make the most of this one day, you know? Yeah. And I mean, that I think is kind of the baseline lesson of like live in the moment and, you know, appreciate things for what they are rather than rather than seeking things out because you think it'll benefit you in some way or or will, you know, help you advance in some element of yourself or another and instead it's very carpe diem of like the when he finally is like I'm just going to appreciate this day, he finally gets it and like can move on. So, I mean, isn't that what we're all trying to do here? We're all just trying <laughs> we're all just trying to be happy, I guess. Oh, what were you saying? I was planning something for next week while you were talking. Oh. So I totally missed what you were saying. Live in the what? Yes. Live in the give a present for me? Yes. I'll take it. I was paying attention. Yeah, that okay, was just good. A joke. But, um, yeah, no, I think that's, uh, you know, I think all the greatest philosophers, uh, especially maybe the Buddhist, uh, would uh, really be, um, would, would like the movie too. Yeah, I think, that, you know, <laughs> I think Buddha would enjoy this movie greatly. One million percent. <laughs> Let me ask you also, because I granted I don't know if you've seen it. Have you seen Happy Death Day? I have not. So Happy Tell Death me. Day. It came out a couple years ago, and I went on the theater with um, my boyfriend Sean and and my friend Jesse, who was also on the show, and it's literally a ripoff of Groundhog Day. And I left the theater and I was like, before we start like talking about this movie, can we just address the fact that this is literally ripped off from Groundhog Day? And everyone was like, oh no, absolutely. But also like blah, 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 blah. 
basically it's it's her birthday but she keeps reliving her birthday every single day but someone's trying to kill her so she has to find out who's after her and i was like huh (laughs) i well i guess it's just because i love this movie so much i was like i mean yeah okay um imitations a form of flattery i suppose but But that one has a sequel, too, and she starts reliving over again after she's broken out. And it's it's very interesting, this this thing that Hollywood has started doing of like repurposing things that people haven't necessarily seen or or like people like in my generation who haven't seen some of these older, really great comedy movies. So like, I don't know, it's interesting. I was going to ask you what you thought about it, but you haven't seen the movie, so. <laughs> I haven't, but I'm looking it up while you're talking about it. Groundhog Day meets Scream. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I'm really disappointed, though, in the title of the sequel. Happy Death Day to you is spelled to you, <laughs> kind of like you two backwards. Yeah. Um, that was unfortunate choice. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how much the sequel grossed, but... Uh, but maybe, I don't know, maybe it is more like sending a text to your friend. I, I don't mean, that, do to you. Yeah, that's what I would assume. Your grandmother, I, my mom does, though. Oh, she does. She loves her, she loves her emojis. She loves that, uh, that old school text shorthand. Mm-hmm. It's really <laughs> endearing. Every time she save, texts me, I'm like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> You save the, you don't have to spell out the T. Is it T-O? Is it T-W-O? Is it T-O-O? Uh-huh. Like, no grammar <laughs> problems if you do the actual no. number. No, it's such so. a delight when she texts me because I just never know what I'm going to get. <laughs> you never know. It's like a box of chocolates for Forrest. Ex- exactly. You never know. Exactly. A hundred percent. Much love, Grammy. I do. I love her. Um, but yeah, never oh. seen Happy Death Day. I'm, I'm looking it up. It uh, looks okay i'm yeah. going to judge it from afar and probably <laughs> never watch it i'm not much of a horror person though. i didn't ch- i wouldn't that's have chosen fair. a horror all right well let me ask you a question that's a little more on topic then tell me if if you could relive one day what would you do one day that i could relive and like redo it more or just have the great sensation ahead already um like so like whether it's a good day or a bad day like you go Mm. through that day and it automatically like much like groundhog day if you could do you know one day whether you could let's say let's say you could pick it yourself is there one day that you'd be like i want to relive this day over and over and over again Mm. i like it that that's actually (laughs) about being stuck in a place that you wouldn't mind being stuck in for a long period of time I think that's what I do with that question. Okay. Because if I can go any direction with it and not being a major uh, resentment type person, I try not to hold resentment mm-hmm. long. Um, <laughs> so uh, try, you know. Um, but the the, uh, the I think the question, if I'm morphing it into what I want it to be, because you kind of left it open enough for me to do so, choose your own adventure style. Thank you. Absolutely. Becky. <laughs> um, I'll have to say it's gotta be my day at, oh, the anticipation, <laughs> my day, you know, it's a very Corona place right now, but Italy, 
I think if I was in Italy and the day was down in like the Amalfi Coast, mm. I think that's where I'd be right now on an organic vineyard <laughs> on the Ooh. side of a hill. How West Coast of you, organic vineyard. <laughs> I mean, I will go all the way down that road of this type of <laughs> communication. Um, yeah, so that's where I would be. I would be, yeah, off the coast um, or on the coast of uh, southern Italy right now. Um, not right now. Uh, <laughs> if, it was, if it was like a Corona Amalfi, Corona Amalfi, you combine those words, Corona Amalfi, um, right. then I might feel differently because I'd be stuck inside. I mean, that wouldn't be nearly as fun. So. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it is getting a little better over there, but we'll see. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, you just never know the timeline on these things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I got to say, if you got to be stuck one place for an extended period of time on a loop, that's definitely a good one. Yeah, I was just with loved ones and it was, you know, something that I feel like would be, you know, uh Uncle David on uh, mm -hmm. my dad's side, you know, um, yep. it was his 75th birthday. And so he rented out a house down there in kind of a no-name town. Mm -hmm. um, and with that um, came uh, a gorgeous, it was like part of a huge mansion that was split up between a bunch of different houses. So it was just like one part of that building, but still felt okay. like you had this whole mansion. And, uh, and just looking out and, and we had a little, uh, what is, um, had a little, um, a Fiat Cinquecento oh. had one of those, <laughs> uh, 500 or whatever, where the top came down, rolling uh -huh. around Amalfi, get a little gelato, <laughs> get a little, um, yeah, beautiful views and you could see Vesuvius. So if that erupted, it didn't on that day, but if it did. <laughs> We could see it coming very for us. Very nice. Very nice. Glowing smoke. Um, yeah. So um, I think that would have to be it. That was the. That would be the day I where I would repeat, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, driving around in our little cinquecento to Ravello <laughs> and everything, and uh, that's the day I would repeat. I mean, it probably goes well most days. Mm -hmm. You try it. Yeah, I mean, beautiful picture you're painting. Uh, hundred percent. I haven't been to Italy. It's it's on the list of places that I want to go to, like with a burning passion. I know my mom really wants to go there, and my parents were going to go for their thirtieth anniversary, but cheap that flights. Up, right I know now. they should buy now. <laughs> <laughs> a friend of mine was like, "I think we're going to plan a trip to Disney in September because flights right now oh. to California are a hundred bucks round trip," and I'm like, "Oh." gotta get on that <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy and Even of course disney disney is just as freaky i mean that's i don't know italy's kind of yeah. compact you know mm, but like mm -hmm. any place that's compact is not where i want to be right now You're right. <laughs> <laughs> i want to be in some spread out corona land you know absolutely i mean i keep thinking because i the internationally i've been to ireland twice and it's beautiful and it's green and it's lush mm -hmm. the people mm -hmm. are phenomenally kind to everybody it's 
as an American, it's very scary <laughs> that they're so nice to everybody, but yeah, you know, but that's just kind of their culture, I guess. And so like you're, you're describing, you know, driving in, in your little Fiat and going to get gelato. And I'm thinking of like driving in the countryside and, you know, finding ruins of castles, like just out and about that you don't have to oh, pay yeah. for. You just kind of pull up to. And so, yep. yeah, I mean, I think we're all starting to feel a little wanderlusty <laughs> being stuck yeah. in quarantine. I just love it, the connection to history and stuff. That stuff's really cool. Like Rome is so cool. You go and the bus stop is next to like some uh, pillar from, (laughs) you know, BC and whatnot. So yeah, yeah, it's pretty special. I definitely recommend it. But I haven't been to Ireland either and I'm part Irish. So I'm, you know, we got to make that happen. You got to get to the motherland, my friend. (laughs) That's it. As soon as they uh, invent a a plane I can fly in with, you know. (laughs) Three people or less, then we're good. <laughs> I'm ready to go. Exactly. Um, and so it's it's funny because we're talking about these like international places, and I think a lot of the people in this in Groundhog Day, the film, are like Puxitani, Pennsylvania. We are about it. They are like so gung ho about this groundhog. It makes me want to check out what it's like. There. There during Groundhog Day. Well, yeah, how far away are you? You could get there, right? I, yeah, I could probably get there. It's still probably a couple hours. Just because I'm going to look it Four up. Four or five now. hours. Yeah. From Pux, Philly. Yeah. Pucks con first thing to come up. I how just want to hear that music. <laughs> oh yeah, I wanted to mention. Um, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, the music in Groundhog Day when he's walking to the square and he shows up and the you know. The Chris Pennsylvania Polka. Rita or Andy are still there with, the, or they're there ready, waiting for him to do his shot uh-huh. for the news. And, um, and that music, yeah, that music that just keeps playing is like so. <laughs> it starts off like, I think I, I want to say they kind of tweak it as time goes on so it sounds more circus like yeah like there's a bit of an echo there's a bit of an effect i think on the music as he gets more um frustrated by his situation and right. a nightmare more than a dream <laughs> um and you know that obviously you know switches back but that music kind of has that you feel like you're Losing your balance a little bit as you're walking in and he's like, what? Especially that second day. The second yeah. day and he's like, I've already done this day. I'm not right. like he gets. <laughs> he's, not, he's still like, what? He's like, wait, what? He's still yeah. doing that for a while. Um, whereas like once I've seen, I've seen the movie so many times and <laughs> I'm looking at it, I'm like expecting him to get more frustrated quicker than he does. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's still that, that initial or that second day that initial repeat where he's just like, I'm going to kind of go through the motions here, but everything is happening. Like, (laughs) did I really experience this? Did I dream that this day all happened? This is really weird. But then the next day is when he gets really, like, he's like, what is going on? (laughs) Well, and I think, and and I think everyone can, can kind of relate to that first initial feeling on that second day because I think we've all one way or another have had either deja vu or like some kind of dream of the next morning and then you wake up and it's something different and so like I feel like that initial thought is very relatable of like 
we did do this, right? No, not sure. But then, of yeah. course, by yeah, and then you're right. By the third day, he's like, okay, something ain't right here. <laughs> Deja vu. Yeah. You know? Times a million. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Love, I love that line where he's talking to the the woman who runs the bed and breakfast and he's just like do you have any do you have you ever had deja vu and she's like i don't know but i could ask the kitchen yeah <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> oh it's so good so from me it. it would take from my apartment right now it would take me about five hours to get to punxsutawney <laughs> All right, so you'll be there by, what, 8 p.m. or, yeah. or so? So you yeah, should yeah. probably get in the car, <laughs> and we can continue this. Well, it's Just been, tether your laptop been, to your phone. Yeah it's, yeah, it's been great talking to you. I've got to go. <laughs> there are more pressing <laughs> things here. I need facts. I need to yeah. meet <laughs> the groundhog Show me. handler. Show me the groundhog. <laughs> Who's the historian? Like that's got to be the person you get for Groundhog Day, like the historian oh. that fact checked. Yeah, I mean that's everything. <laughs> um, but one thing's funny in the movie too. I have to point out is Absolutely. the um, amount of groundhog worship that yes. takes place in the town. Um, you know, <laughs> in the Bible it says "Have no idols." So yeah. I just thought, I, but no, that was for Grammy. But I just wanted to say <laughs> that the amount of uh, Punxsutawney Phil images that are all over the town at one point uh bill murray steals a car and runs through a giant punxsutawney phil uh-huh uh the end of the day he gets locked up he's in jail and he wakes up and he's out of jail and he's like yes this is when he goes through a surge <laughs> of like realizing the power that yeah. he has mm-hmm. it's i mean ice sculptures Everybody is like, yes, of course I'm going to see the groundhog. You know, they're chanting chanting his name, waiting for him to come out. And even in that, like, even the first day before this all starts, you know, Bill Murray is just like, yep, here we go. Here's the ritual. They knock on the thing with the stick and then they pull out the large rat and then they pretend to talk to it. And they have a scroll ready to go. Like, it's almost like this huge pageant is happening and it's like it kind of blows your mind that people are like so into this but i guess because of that small town thing it's like this is our thing right yeah it's just (laughs) it's what they're known for it's what they're all about i mean it's kind of a cute little town and then you know once a year um (laughs) you know they have all this attention yeah it's kind of like Florida right now, going through co- Corona. Um, it's a really popular time for people to go, spring break and what what have you. And uh, yeah. and so, you know, everybody descends upon it, but just, you know, briefly for this mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting. There's kind of these pockets, I think, at least in the U.S. I don't know about other places, but there's like these pocket kind of towns where they have like their thing. So you got like Puxatani um, around Groundhog Day. Corn pal- uh, Palace. Corn Palace. Have corn- you heard of it? No. Tell me more. It. <laughs> it is a place made of corn. Everything is corn. The walls are corn. Oh, my God. The corn gosh. is corn. Everything is corn. And uh, <laughs> they uh, make a living. Someone does on corn. And oh my this gosh. palace. It really is inspirational for an entrepreneur to understand <laughs> the possibilities just by being obsessed over one minor thing. Right. So, 
And see, I was going to say like Salem and around Halloween is huge. Known for witches, burning known, witches. Known for Very burning famous witches. For that. Very famous. And my, I had a friend who went like during the week of Halloween and I was like, that was a mistake. And she's like, there were so many people there. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> um, oh, what was it? There's, um. What are they famous for? What do they do beyond the burning of the witches? So I actually went in November a couple of years ago. Oh, that's the perfect time to burn a witch. Yeah, that's exactly. the perfect uh, time of the year for that. <laughs> I mean, they there's no denying the fact that they have um, definitely embraced this whole like, yes, we burned witches, but we are. They have a a statue of um the uh, the girl from Bewitched, <laughs> like the uh, Samantha. Really? Yeah, from uh, Bewitched. They have her on a broomstick. Um, like it's like a brass statue uh, in one of the squares. They've got a witch uh, museum that talks about what happens. No it's like cheesy animatronics. And <laughs> um, they have several witchcraft shops that sell like occult items and like all this other stuff. They've got hundreds of palm readers who come in. But then they also have like this really cool museum like in the middle of town that's like has a full fully rebuilt home from i think it's china and they literally packed up every brick brought it to salem massachusetts and then rebuilt it like in its original form and it's it's a very strange eclectic town if we're being real (laughs) yeah i guess so yeah it's definitely an interesting vibe i i don't know what they do during halloween to like amp that up even more (laughs) because like from a day-to-day it seems pretty wild (laughs) No, absolutely. Yeah. Makes me wonder what what is your town known for? What is my town known for? I know. And like the only thing I can think of is like we have a lot of uh we have a very large Italian population around me. Yes, you do. Yeah. Jersey baby. <laughs> yes. Yeah, get an eggplant Jersey. parm. Absolutely. We've got a lot of Italians here. A lot of my friends are like ninety nine percent Italian. So I've been uh, I've been inducted 100%. as a percent. <laughs> From yeah. Seychelles? What, yeah. what is the 1%? Seychellian. Uh, yeah, exactly. Basically. It's like, they're, you ask them what that 1% is, and they're like, I don't know. I'm just Italian. That's all I've got. <laughs> just, just give me the pizza. Yeah. I'll talk to you again tomorrow. We're going to play bocce ball. You're going to eat manicotti, <laughs> and then you're going to go home. We're going to drink some wine. <laughs> so, like, we have a lot of Italian time. festivals around me. But sure, I, yeah. Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure what else <laughs> my town is known for. <laughs> no rodents of note. <laughs> not yet, anyway. Wait till this thing gets big. They're going to be like, Scopophilia, that's what we're known for. <laughs> <laughs> In my town, we just learned uh, that we have a Portuguese historical connection. Wow. And there's like a little, there's a Portuguese center down in the main town in Sausalito and Caledonia Street. Oh. Um, that is, uh, it is a very, um, very Portuguese, apparently. Yep. Uh, I've never seen anybody go in or out of that building. Uh, I would love to learn <laughs> Portuguese. I've tried to convince them to let me do that and right. <laughs> take my money, but so far it hasn't happened. Oh, they must not be it's a entrepreneur. It <laughs> must be a front for something. I don't know what else. I don't. There. Yeah, I don't know much about the Portuguese people. I know Sean's um, grandparents were Portuguese, and 
he the only thing he ever says is like, oh, they have linguisa. It's like kielbasa, but Portuguese. And I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that sounds good. I'm mostly vegan, but I would that's a, I would eat it. I would try it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, even just to say you have, might as well. Absolutely. Apparently, it's very good. I haven't had it yet either. But I like kielbasa, so. <laughs> yeah, it was sold well <laughs> yes. to us. Yes, it was. We are very off track. I just <laughs> are we? Oh, uh, I'm looking up the the Portuguese dessert. That is, oh, here it is. Uh, uh, pastel de nata. Yes, no, but it has a better name. What the heck is the name? This is way off. We're way off. <laughs> That's how you know. Yeah, it's in all the pictures, but I don't think it's labeled properly. Oh, pastéis. I think I'm oh. oversaying that. Pastache. 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 I'm saying it close to what? It's delicious. I'm looking at it right now. It's like a what mini creme what? brulee in a Ooh. flaky kind of tart, but really small, like an inch wide. Delicious. Oh, Pop it in your is, mouth. I was going to say, is it like a pastry or is it? Pastry. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I could get on board with that, 100%. Highly recommend it. I wish they had that at the Portuguese center that's in the middle of Sausalito, my town. That's actually a front for some kind of world-conquering Dr. Evil type scenario. But but we don't know. But uh, speaking of Groundhog Day, (laughs) I love the time, the moment where um, Bill Murray walks up to the theater and he's yeah. wearing the uh, <laughs> full. He's like, wearing the whole, <laughs> the yeah. cowboy, yeah. Uh, like full on Clint Eastwood. Good Clint Eastwood. That's what it is. Totally yeah. Clint Eastwood. Uh-huh. He's got the cigar, the skinny cigar out of his mouth. He's got the. He's got a hat actually on his head that reminds me of every cool person in LA right now in Malibu <laughs> when you go to Nobu. Uh-huh. Multiple people wearing this flat brimmed kind of Clint, e- Clint Eastwood hat. Really. It's really obnoxious, and <laughs> I just got mine in the mail, so I'm going to start wearing mine. But he's out with uh, another woman. Uh, he's on a date, and they're going to this, see this movie. Maybe it is a Clint Eastwood uh, Western, and she's wearing like a French made outfit, and, she, yeah. and they get into the cab. And she says, I thought we were going to a costume party. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just very Clint Eastwood's like one word answers and stuff yeah. and goes get gets the ticket to the movie. So so he had a lot of fun. Once you oh, realize yeah. that this day is just repeating and tomorrow doesn't exist, tomorrow is not promised. Uh-huh. You should start wearing that cowboy hat at Nobu and Malibu 100%. and all around town. Tell the world you're a cowboy. Like don't hold back. Do you're not a gaucho. <laughs> you you don't have an active six shooter on your hip, but you have a toy gun, yes, maybe yes, absolutely hiding in your in the storage from your kids' stuff that you might want to break out. And you know, I just I say go crazy with it, um, especially given these times. Exactly, I was just gonna say in this time, now's the time to do it. I mean, just go for it. What's the craziest thing in your closet right now? Right now, groundhog uh, it, put yeah. it on. 
Absolutely. Well, take photos, uh, <laughs> share it on social media, uh, <laughs> tell the world that you had this outfit that you were hiding for this moment when you couldn't leave the house and you've gone so stir crazy that you have no other option. <laughs> you don't want to do laundry. It's the only thing left. <laughs> the laundry, depending on your scenario, I don't, do you have a laundromat shared or do you have your own there in your place? I'm lucky enough to have my, my own washer and dryer in my apartment. See? This is the time for that. This is the time for your own laundry. Yes. This is the time to not share. Yes. 100%. Isn't that the message of uh, Trump? Isn't that what we're trying? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Spread the right information and share the information about not sharing. Yes. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Okay. Yes. Yes. I can tell you do a lot of political podcasting. That's all we do. (laughs) <laughs> All we do, nonstop <laughs> politics and sports and, and music. Oh, actually, we do other stuff too. Yes. <laughs> and movies. I mean, and yeah, hopefully movies, Working you know? You. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm happy to bring that element to, to you guys. <laughs> You're good about that. I like how you do that. Thank um, you. Wait, so I know on this show, we talk about the various different lessons and themes. Um, yes. Do you talk, I know we talked a little bit about some of the scenes, mm-hmm. scene by scene. I, I heard some of your other episodes going mm-hmm. through scene. Are there any scenes that really stand out to you that you, uh, that um, really uh, resonated? I, I would say from like a technical standpoint, this movie is pretty straightforward. It, I think it it's designed in a way to make you really focus on the characters and the the writing of the film. So a lot of the film is done with high key lighting. There isn't a lot of contrast. Um, and but I mean, I think it is very interesting. You have these, um, and I don't know if it was just me watching it this time when he starts going back to the um, Groundhog Festival at. Oh my gosh! It's like uh, Gobbler's Knob. <laughs> That's what it is. Gobbler's Knob. Gobbler's knob. It feels almost because granted, there's a snowstorm coming, so everything's kind of overcast and dark, and and it almost kind of feels like the more he starts going in there, because he's like, I don't know what's going on. Everything's repeating every day. There's definitely a feeling of like an ominous kind of thing of like something is happening and we're not sure what it is. Because a lot of the other scenes are kind of more warmly lit because uh, they're inside. It's cold out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I mean. I guess that would be, I guess those are the scenes that I would say kind of stand out to me in terms of, um, I guess, creative direction, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. What about you? Was there anything that you were like, wow, this is done really well? (laughs) Um, You know, I think they just did a good job of kind of something I didn't realize before when I watched it. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, was examining kind of the human psyche of what you would do in that situation going through the various different stages of grief, grief, as I already mentioned. But, you know, like we talked about, like he committed suicide a bunch of different ways and none of that got him out of this loop. It just drove him crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the fact that his significance in society mattered much more at the start. And then it didn't matter at all towards the end. Like, I think 
the progression of you know how they um, storyboarded it, I guess you could say, from mm-hmm. um, you know the fact that he was eating all the desserts <laughs> at first, yeah, <laughs> and just stuffing his face without yeah. remorse or concern. Full piece of cake too, and <laughs> one bite. In, in one, one bite. bite. <laughs> Wonder how many t- takes they had to do on that one before they. Oh had man, their, he just ended up he, eating a whole cake instead. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if he was spitting that out after. <laughs> probably not. He's probably just. It was a big caloric intake day <laughs> for Bill Murray. <laughs> Absolutely. Still stayed t- uh, tall and uh, tall and skinny, um, but yeah, I think. Um, I think, you know, this idea of his immortality and then what he does with it uh, is really well done that, you know, he goes through those things of like, wow, I don't have to worry about, you know, what I have to eat. And then it goes to, oh, I can punch Ned Ryerson in the face and like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, someone's going to sue me? Well, if it doesn't matter in this day, it doesn't matter at all. Right. Um, so I think um, scene-wise and kind of their decisions about what any human but particularly this kind of self-centered human mm-hmm. would would do uh, might be different from mother teresa's uh <laughs> groundhog day and <laughs> having an impact on the world around her uh mm-hmm. versus what um you know choosing someone who's more of elitist uh to go through this ego death right um you know i think that was it was a smart move fit bill Murray so well um, because he could do it in a way that you never ended up hating him. You always liked him throughout it. And, you know, there's just so many classic scenes. Once the power is, you know, he he has that self-consciousness to understand the power he has. Like, you realize all the selfish things he does and then you go through and you see all the, um, the things that he does that are, you know, good to help people, not just to show uh, Rita, um, Andy right. McDowell, not just to show that character that he's a good guy, but then actually to become a good guy um, out of all the pain that yeah. he uh, experienced. Yeah. And I mean, it's such an interesting, that whole kind of montage of him, you know, committing suicide. It's like the toaster in the tub and jumping off a building, you know, in front of a car. And then in that next scene, he's like, Rita, I think I'm a god. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. like, I forgot about that part. Yeah. And she's like, okay, what what brings you to that? And he's like, I've been stabbed, poisoned. He's just listing off different things that we haven't even seen of like yeah. of how he's been like trying to break this cycle in any way that he can. It's just, I mean, it's comedy gold, really. It's like some of it is darkly funny. Some of it is, you know, that's dry, sarcastic humor. Some of it is like slapstick humor. And and then on top of it all, you have him, you know, letting a groundhog drive a truck in, <laughs> into a huge dirt lot and and trying to end the cycle that way. I have to stop, you know, Puxitani Phil. <laughs> yeah. That's not bad for a quadruped. You got to check your mirrors. Just side of your eye. Side of your eye. Hey, they're chasing us. Come on, make it fun. (laughs) Don't drive angry. Don't drive angry. (laughs) 
just the movie is just so you got to wonder what you know when the guys were going into the studio and they were like we've got this movie idea <laughs> what, what i mean you got to imagine what that pitch meeting must have been like so it's a guy and he's he's reliving the same day okay well what day is it it's groundhog day <laughs> <laughs> it's just I don't know. I sometimes I see these like granted this is an amazing movie. I will preface that. It is an amazing movie. But you got to wonder like in the studio how this thing got greenlit just from like the elevator pitch. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder how much of it was sold on Bill Murray or if mm. he or if he came on to it uh later. Um I'm looking through some of the notes now and I see <laughs> That some of the, like, they have this, the cafe was in Woodstock, Illinois. Oh. Okay. <laughs> near Chicago. Which Chicago. Shouldn't, it said because Punxsutawney didn't have a town center that looked good on camera. <laughs> uh, so there's that. Um, oh, Hollywood. Yeah. So uh, apparently there was like, they went back and forth on like the concept and had to fix the the script a bunch based on some of the initial uh structure of it and came out with a winner uh, it's so funny i'm looking at all the critical awards it's won and uh there was one uh english magazine that in that said it was the greatest film of 1993 which is the same year that there was schindler's list the piano <laughs> a perfect world and the fugitive wow yeah I mean, that's quite a claim. That is a major claim. I mean, it's very high on these. Like, Time Out London gave it fifth great greatest comedy of all time. Uh, there are some, you know. It was number 34 on AFI's 100 Years, 100 right. Laughs. Um, and it did what? Win the BAFTA Award for Best Original Screenplay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Brits liked it. <laughs> And why wouldn't they? It's dry, sarcastic humor. It is. There you go. Back to the dry humor, as you originally (laughs) originally, uh, uh, pointed out. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is there anything else to, like, say about this movie other than how amazing it is? Well, it's so amazing, and it is hilarious, and it is hopefully, you know, what we would do like what it's kind of like it's kind of like sanding you down to your nub like sanding your (laughs) not just ego but just like your personality like if you were if you had to endure this over and over and over again you know Mm -hmm. and i think it kind of just taps into that emotional appeal of what we believe to be true about love being kind of the most important thing. I mean, it's why the Beatles are so popular. It's why I have a tattoo on my arm (laughs) that says, all you need is love. All you need is love. You know, and I think uh, the love uh, story between Phil and Rita um, in a day, essentially, um, Mm -hmm. is one of those things that takes many days. One of the things that stood out to me is just this concept of – you know, kind of every day before today is what prepares you for today, mm-hmm. um, which is 
both the simplest and most complicated concepts, I think, at least for me, to grasp, which just points to various different uh, takeaways or you know lessons you can you can draw from that, which is to say that like living in the present, absolutely one million percent a better mm-hmm. way to live. Uh, it's a lot less stress. I'm not saying don't plan forever right. for anything, <laughs> but in this moment, rather than maybe kicking yourself for not being prepared for something or as good at something, you know, if you treat it as this is what was supposed to happen in this moment, then um, it's better than having some kind of negative connotation to something not turning out maybe as it should have. Um, yeah. And instead relying on like who you are based on the, in my case, you know, 41 years of days before this day <laughs> um, to make me who I am, to respond to the moment to whatever someone's asking me or whatever's going on to just be as present as possible. Um, obviously, that he did a lot of things like learned how to play the piano, mm-hmm. which <laughs> could only happen with the endless days he right. was supplied. <laughs> um, not that I can't learn the piano, not that you couldn't, you know, right. turn out right. some moats. Mozi Mozart uh, tomorrow, <laughs> um, but just to say that like this is who I am, and to accept that, um, you know, and also you know, imagine this type of repetition to do the thing that you truly want to do, as opposed to, um, you know, have this secret dream. Mm-hmm. That you hide from yourself and then continue to churn out whatever robotic actions you have no emotional attachment to in, in your professional life. Yeah. Or in the, per- in the personal side of things, like if you're not happy, then you should not be in that relationship. I think that's very simplified and not really fully grasping what I mean by that. But I mean, like, you should do what it is, what it is you want to do with your life. Yeah. And not save some dream for uh tomorrow and i'm not perfectly acting that out it's just more of a philosophy i'd like to espouse and apply to my life as much as possible yeah yeah well and i mean i always say you know as a society we are continually learning and growing and and being a human being isn't all you know sunshine and daisies it's you know you put in work into yourself and you know that work hopefully if if you're doing the work and you're continually trying to you know pursue happiness and pursue some kind of inner peace you know it works out for you in that way because you are not chasing things for you know self-gratification kind of thing and i will say in in this day and age i find that that is a very hard thing to do <laughs> on the general you know, between social media and between emerging technologies. And sometimes it's hard to get your head out of your phone and just, you know, look around at the world. And the fun thing about this film is because it's done in 1993, it was before cell phones and social media and, you know, all those other things. So the things that he could do was limited. So he couldn't just be like, well, I'm going to spend this day and do nothing and just be on my phone. It was... I'm going to spend this day, you know, 
kidnapping the groundhog. I'm going to spend this day robbing a bank. I'm going to spend this day learning to play the piano and doing that several days in a row. So it's, it's definitely an interesting thought, I guess, coming from nowadays when we have so many things <laughs> that we can do to either, you know, disconnect or connect on a technological or cosmic level that this film is kind of takes a step back from that to another time before all of that, <laughs> that was even possible, you know? Absolutely. No, it's so true. <laughs> I mean, even now we're all in quarantine and I find myself in the rut of like, all right, well, I can watch, you know, Tiger King today and then I can watch, you know, a movie tomorrow. And it's, I could read a book, but I haven't. I've been playing stupid games on my phone. <laughs> so it's i mean it's definitely a a strange world that we're living in but it's it's definitely important to keep you know planning to a point where you can still be present in what you're planning for if that makes sense yeah yeah right you can't just take your eye off uh tomorrow necessarily in practice it's it's hard yeah Because that's just a movie. It turns out Groundhog Day is just a movie. What? Spoilers. (laughs) But it does feel, it just does, it tells a good story. And I think it gives good, um, uh, a good fantasy Mm -hmm. for for you to consider like, whoa, what what am I doing in my life? What would I do? You know, those types (laughs) of things, which I think is cool. It's cool to kind of shake you using this type of art. I know it's a comedy and it doesn't feel as much. I know all film probably has some element of art to it. Oh, 100%. Um, yeah, this is the show that you would say that. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, I think a lot of people forget that art was, or film, I should say, is technically an artistic medium. But, you know, because it's it's so known for, you know, Hollywood and big money and blockbusters, I think a lot of people forget that film was like an art and a technological advance. So, so yes, film is art. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think that, uh, you know, the fact that it was built around a rodent, this, uh, <laughs> this movie means that uh, for some reason that the rodent wasn't given top billing or any billing. Uh, on this, which I think for all the rodents rights people, <laughs> I didn't read that in Wikipedia, but I think that that would be an issue these days. So who knows 100%. Um, what comes from this, uh, this PETA kind of violating <laughs> film, um, despite all its art, quote unquote, um, <laughs> it is a bit of a, you know, aggressive when it comes to the animal community. So. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so looking at the human psyche, but also filled with misappropriation of animal rights is, is what you're saying. This, <laughs> this film is. <laughs> you're fun. Am I saying it right? Yes. Scopophilia. I love the Italian accent. That just kind yeah. of makes it. <laughs> it's very much on, on brand and on theme. hundred percent. Hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. Well, I mean, I think we've kind of covered everything, unless you have some final words of this movie. I mean, Bill Murray, amazing, classic, one of the greats. Great writing, 
Yes. Punxsutawney <laughs> Phil was played by a series of groundhogs, collectively known as Scooter. Wow, that's demeaning. That They're all demeaning. named Scooter. The animals hated my guts from day one, said Murray, who was bitten twice during shooting, including during the filming of the scene where he drives himself and Phil into a ravine. The bites were severe enough that he was forced to undergo precautionary rabies immunization afterward. Oh, my. How about that? All right. Well, we got to the bottom of the animal thing. Well, it's, it sounds like those animals got their, got their two cents in, at least with Bill Murray. They did. Their payback was served. <laughs> um, yeah, no, this is great. My final thoughts are, I agree with you, Bill Murray, Murray Masterclass. Uh, I meant to bring up the fact that uh, maybe a year ago or whenever it was, um, they published you know, how odd and interesting and fun a guy he continues to be in mm-hmm. real life. Showing up at like frat parties and doing the dishes. Um, there's this whole documentary about how he operates where there's just this one lone phone number that you have to call and leave a voicemail. I'm sure someone has a phone number for him. Maybe I'm not. Sure. Maybe it's true. Um, but this phone number apparently just goes to a voicemail that he'll listen. And if you pitch your movie, film, TV show, project, whatever to him on that voicemail, and he likes it, he'll go back to you. But if he doesn't like it, you'll never hear from him again. Wow. What a How funny is that? How cool is that? What Bill a legend. <laughs> Total legend. That is he's a ledge. Yes. That's how you know. He's got that uh he's got that moniker. I agree with you. He's definitely a legend. And this film is a part of his legend. It's a part of his career, what he was able to create. Uh mm-hmm. magic. In this film, um, yes. and working with a great story and script um, by Harold Ramis and company. So, yes. uh, yeah, just uh, appreciate you allowing me to wax poetic about it with you. Really enjoyed this, and and thank you. Absolutely. Well, and it, you just reminded me, did you not meet Bill Murray in passing? He and I were both at... Um, it was in passing in uh, uh, at the Cubs World Series at Wrigley yes. Park, but this was game. Forget, forget which one he did the seventh inning stretch, um, and I saw him right afterwards. That was, I want to say, game four, maybe. Right. I could be wrong, but I did get to interview John Cusack and Eddie Vedder in the dugout after they won in Cleveland Game Seven. So that was. Really, the cherry on top would have been really cool to meet, meet, meet Bill. Yeah, and do an interview, but uh, yeah, that was that was really special. Yeah, and, and he's he was he's always an entertainer, even oh. in the seventh inning stretch, he finds a way to make it hilarious. <laughs> and I mean, I wouldn't expect anything less from a legend like him. Agreed. Agreed. Well. I guess I can say thanks for coming on the show and having this wonderful psychological zen conversation with me about a movie that is so good and so funny and should definitely be appreciated more, I think, in the coming generations. Agreed. Groundhog Day should be mandatory. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> for all humans. Now that yes. we're going into martial law and we no longer have freedoms, <laughs> we should make it mandatory. 100%. I, I'm going to back that bill with everything I have. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
Scopophilia. Scopophilia. What are you listening to? Um, just listening to Scopophilia. <laughs> oh, did you get, did you have any? Um, what did you have for dinner? It's like, oh no, I just had a little spaghetti. <laughs> Who am I? <laughs> I am a uh, I'm Giada de la de la, de la Rentis. Yes. <laughs> she says, first you get your manacati, and then you um, you know, you put it in the oven and. Uh, and then you uh, you get a little bit of your parmesan reggiano, and then um, <laughs> you over accentuate. Yes, the, uh, you add some mozzarella. Mozzarella. <laughs> scopo You put a little scopo next to your um, uh, your fungi. You put your fungi and your scopo filia. No parmesan reggiano. Have a little Chianti. A little Chianti. <laughs> this has been so wonderful. <laughs> it's been lovely. Lovely talking to you. A little time capsule. Yeah. Of this time in you know 2020, recording on a Friday across in the, the country. In the middle of a pandemic. In the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> if you don't have movies, what do we got? Exactly. <laughs> this podcast is more prevalent than ever. Because we're in a pandemic and everyone's watching movies, hopefully. <laughs> watching the movies and then listening to this podcast. Yes. Yes. 100%. That's the goal here. That's, that's all I'm trying to do, man. That's all I'm trying to do. <laughs> God's work, Becky. God's work. <laughs> and we support it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, I'm going to let you go then because I know you have other things on your Agenda, you are. Scopophilia. As soon as we get off, I'm listening to every episode of Scopophilia. Yes, we love a fan. <laughs> Just going into binge mode over here. Absolutely, I think you should. It's it's a it's a real up and comer. I'll tell you that. <laughs> What are your fans called? Are they the philias? I just what do you call, call them. I just call them scopophiliacs. Scopophiliacs. Yes. Oh, it's perfect. Yes. It's a little strange, but that's what I like about it. <laughs> to be. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll talk a little after this, I'm sure. And, sure. Uh, and I'd be happy to have you on anytime. And yeah, it's it's just been a good time overall. And it has been. It's been great. Thank and, you, Becky. Uh, of course. And I will. I'll see you later. All right. All right. Bye. What does Ned? What does Ned say? What is Ned? What? Oh, oh, ah, uh, uh, Ned Ryerson. Oh my gosh! Bing, <laughs> Bing, <laughs> right out the gate. <laughs> I used to hold back, but now I just go for it. Yeah. <laughs> Bing, Bing. Remember, maybe, I dated- maybe Ned Ryerson is like the the secret. Like that's the takeaway. The real takeaway is Ned Ryerson. Yeah. Like be true. <laughs> All right. This Just, has been great. This has been great. Do you need any insurance? <laughs> you have any life insurance? Because you could always use a little more. <laughs> <laughs> am I right? Or am I right? Or am I right? Right, 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 right. right. <laughs> He is barking like a dog. Oh my gosh. Okay, I'm going to stop recording. A huge thank you to JT for coming on the show and talking about his favorite film, Groundhog's Day. 
Now, since the recording of this episode back in March of 2020, Native Creative Podcasts has rebranded to Next Chapter Podcasts, which is who has been helping me run this podcast from the very start. Um, So big thank you to them, uh, just in general. And additionally, uh, since I recorded this interview with JT, he has taken his own advice from this episode and is now living out his quarantine days in Hawaii and trying to live every moment of his life to the fullest. And now, as promised, I'm just going to go straight into my interview with Stephen Toblowski about his time working on this amazing movie. Bill Murray, the cast and crew, Stephen Toblowski himself, iconic in this film. So I'm just going to leave it at that, and we're going to go right into my interview with Stephen Toblowski. Enjoy! Phil! Hey, Phil! Phil? Phil Connors? Phil Connors, I thought that was you. Hi, how you doing? Thanks for watching. Hey, hey. Now, don't you tell me you don't remember me, because I sure as heck fire remember you. Not a chance. (laughs) Ned! Ryerson! Needle nose Ned, Ned the head. Come on, buddy. Case Western High. Ned Ryerson, I did the whistling belly button trick at the high school talent show. Bing! Ned Ryerson got the shingles real bad senior year, almost didn't graduate. Bing! Again! Ned Ryerson, I dated your sister Mary Pat a couple times till you told me not to anymore. Well? Ned Ryerson? Bing! Bing! (laughs) So did you turn pro with that belly button thing, Ned, or No, Phil, I sell insurance. What a shock. Do you have life insurance? Because if you do, you could always use a little more. Am I right or am I right or am I right? Right, right, right. Ned, I would love to stand here and talk with you, but I'm not going to. <laughs> See. Hey, that's all right. I'll walk with you. <laughs> Watch out for that first step. It's a doozy. <laughs> Hey there, Scopophiliacs, and we have a special treat for you today in this episode. I am lucky enough to have a conversation with the one, the only, Stephen Toblowski. Hi, and how are you? I'm doing very well, thank you, here in Los Angeles. Yes, we are long distance from L.A. to Jersey once again. <laughs> and, and we're completely locked down now. You, you know, we're locked down and we have curfews, so... My being on this podcast is a little ray of sunshine in my life. Oh, well, I'm so glad I could yes. do that for you. Absolutely. Well, and I mean, thank you so much again for agreeing to come on the show. It's a wonderful pleasure, and I'm I'm so excited to be able to talk to you. My pleasure as well. <laughs> and so you were in the movie Groundhog's Day, which this episode is pretty much based on. And, you know, such an iconic movie that's been, you know, pseudo redone a couple times, which is fun. So what I mean, what was it like working on set and doing and, you know, I mean, like the same scene or, or similar scene over and over and over again? I mean, it must have been a, a pretty interesting process. Well, it's it's an interesting question because Groundhog Day is the only movie I've ever been in in which the day itself is a character, right? Because the day is repeated, so the day has to be the same. So uh, Bill and I had originally about nine street scenes, and I think in the movie now there are four of varying lengths 
and and then there's the slave auction at the end, various things like that. Mm-hmm. Harold Ramis had not decided what the day of the movie would be meteorologically because that day has to be the same as well. Uh, so each scene that Bill and I do in the street is pretty much dictated by the camera technique that's used. The dialogue changes slightly in each one of our encounters in the, on uh, the square in Woodstock, Illinois, where we shot this. Once we do it with the steady cam, once we do it with uh, on a dolly track, once it's a long shot with the camera on sticks, one handheld. We we the so the camera technique kind of varied what our blocking was. So Bill and I would run through the blocking of the scene, and that blocking would remain the same, uh, no matter what we did for that particular little street scene. But what's fascinating was, since Harold hadn't decided what the day of the movie was, we had to do those exact scenes in every weather condition. So ordinarily, actors are given a schedule. Right. You know, so you know when you can go to the bar and drink (laughs) and when you have to work. But when we were doing Groundhog Day, Bill and I were on Will Notifies the whole time, which means you always have to be ready to shoot. Because if the weather changes, we're going to go down to the square and shoot one of your scenes. And we had to be ready to shoot any of those scenes in every weather condition. So Bill and I shot that, those scenes in the street in rain, in snow, in sunshine, in gloom. Uh, th- those are the basic ones we shot in. And so somewhere in a vault, there are four or five different versions of all of our scenes in different weather conditions. And at the end of shooting, Harold Ramis decided the day of the film would be the gloomy day. And when snow began to fall near the end of the film, when the kids are playing with the uh, snowman, right? when snow begins to fall is when time starts again. So that was the weather prediction, and and that was the unique challenge we had in shooting Groundhog Day. Gotcha. That, I mean, wow. <laughs> I mean, what I wouldn't give to, you know, see the other, you know, kind of versions of this scene just to, just to see how it changes things. Cause I mean, I would assume that it would change things just, you know, a little bit narratively. Well, well, there's, there's, there's a big change in the attitude of actors as well. When you're on a will notify, you're kind of doing guerrilla theater. You know, ordinarily you, you kind of lounge on your days off or you go shopping, but Bill and I never could. Mm-hmm. We always were waiting for the phone call, and this was before the age of Apple phones. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we had walkie-talkies or string and you know, tin cans. We had something for them to say, come to the square, we're shooting now. So we had to be ready to go at any time. And I look back on that and I cannot recall any other production I've ever been in, in which we had that condition thrown on us as actors. And in a way, it kept us very alive. It kept us ready to work what I call the best kind of filmmaking, guerrilla filmmaking. Amazing. And I mean, it's so interesting to hear. Well, and let me also ask you, which, you know, is my second question, which is Ned is a very specific character. And I think we all recognize him. (laughs) 
I mean, especially now after the movie's success, I think we all see Ned as, you know, oh, I know who that guy is. And so, I mean, between this kind of guerrilla filmmaking and also, I mean, in terms of your process, too, how do you go about finding who Ned is with his, you know, characteristics and who he is as a character? So did those two things affect your decision on how to do that? Very much. You are, I think, the only person who's ever asked me this question. Oh, really? And as, as you can imagine, I've been asked questions about Groundhog a lot, but not this question. How <laughs> did I work on Ned as an actor? I had a great acting teacher when I was in graduate school. Everyone hated him. He was very mean. His name was Ed K. Martin. And as a matter of fact, I have run into various people in my life who also had Ed K. Martin. One of them was Holly Hunter. And so when Holly and I worked together, uh, which we did on, on Broadway, we we worked off Broadway as well and in a couple of films, we can talk Ed K. Martin stories. And Ed K. said in working, and young actors, listen to this one. It's a good one. That when you work on a part, there are only two questions that really matter. What is your greatest hope? And what is your greatest fear? Answer those two questions and every other question related to your character will be connected to those two questions. So looking at Ned, my first uh, goal was, I'm going to do the Ed K. Martin test on this. (laughs) I'm going to do what is my greatest hope? What is my greatest fear? And so for Ned, I was saying, well, obviously my greatest hope is that I would be successful as a salesman and that I would be liked. And my greatest fear is that I would be ostracized, I would be ignored, I would not be liked because I have a feeling in my life as as Ned, right. uh, I was kind of not invited to a lot of parties yeah, for right. a lot of reasons. And and. And so I went at it with that kind of in my head, and I found it began to work for me because my desire to reconnect with Phil Connors from high school, Mm -hmm. will he like me? Will he like me now? Will he see me now as a success? Will he be, can I do something for him that can make his life better, that will make him appreciate me more as a person? I could sell him life insurance. That's one of the best. And that is something that, you know, people ignore until they either it's too late or they realize they need it and then they pay too much. So I could do him a great, great favor right. by selling him a great life insurance package. <laughs> and everything did stem from those two questions. So uh, kudos to Ed K. That's true. What is your greatest hope? What is your greatest fear? And all other questions will spring from those. Interesting. And well, I mean, I guess you could apply that to life too. Well, if if you take a look at the great philosophers, uh, you, you know, we, we have uh, Descartes and Voltaire in the Enlightenment. And the philosophy in the Enlightenment was all mankind could be understood by one 
kind of two-headed, well, again, it's like Ed Kay's uh, parable. Man will approach what gives him pleasure, and he will retreat from what gives him pain. Hmm. And everything could be defined by the move toward pleasure and the move away from pain. Uh, For example, it's difficult to mow the lawn. So as a child, I would make myself scarce (laughs) whenever mom wanted me to mow the lawn. I moved away because it was painful until Mm -hmm. she began to pay me Ah. for mowing the lawn. So she paid me $1.25 for the front yard, $1.75 for the backyard, and $1 each for the side yard. So I can make close to $5 by mowing the lawn, and that was enough pleasure for me to want to mow the lawn regularly. But what happens in our lives is we have this moving barometer, constantly pleasure, pain. And as we speak now, the pandemic gives us a whole lot of pain. Oh, yeah. Uh, we, we have uh, danger. We're under stress constantly. Mm-hmm. It's difficult to work. It, you, you, you can't go anywhere or see anyone. So there is a desire to retreat from the pain of what we are experiencing daily, and we, we go to something that gives us pleasure, like doing a podcast. <laughs> doing a podcast. <laughs> right. right. Well, exactly. And it, I mean, it's so funny that you mentioned the pandemic in this you know, kind of philosophical way, um, because I was speaking to my mom earlier today, and she was saying, you know, Groundhog's Day is very much reflective of how the pandemic kind of feels. And so I think it kind of hits you a little differently watching it now um, because we are also doing the same thing every day, slightly different over and over again. So I think it hits different than it did in the, you know, in 1993 when it first came out, you know? Yeah, and it's very interesting that you bring this up because Groundhog Day, the film, is one of the, I can't think of any other, maybe I will if I think about it long enough, any other time where the arts have usurped reality. Now, when I listen to the news, newscasters all the time say, well, it's Groundhog Day, Groundhog Day all over again. Right. People say it all the time in common discourse. Groundhog Day has nothing to do with a repeated event. Right. That's what they're saying when it's Groundhog Day. They are referring to the movie and not what we celebrate on February 2nd. Exactly. So it is it is remarkable in that way. That's the power of art. You know, it could it could usurp reality. Exactly. A hundred percent. I could not agree with you more. And well, so then let me ask you, you know, this movie is so funny and so iconic, so big, so many quotable lines. Is there a, you know, a certain moment or line that, you know, is is kind of your favorite or your, you know, your personal uh, favorite in the film? Uh, good and bad, yes. Uh, <laughs> the, you know, the naughty moment I connect with is when Bill steps into the ice water. <laughs> the street and i go watch out for that first step it's a doozy it was so cold that day it was like an army experiment and you know there's really no ice on that the the 
The puddle is completely artificially made by the art department. They dug a little hole. They made a little swimming pool, lined it with plastic, filled it with water. And then they got pieces of styrofoam to put on the top to make it look like it was ice. Gotcha. However, it was so cold. It was so cold and the cold came up from the ground and it hurt you. And we were all wearing uh, the things they give duck hunters and people in the army, these packets that you crush in your pockets and it heats up so you could keep your fingers moving. And at times you would heat up your hands and then rub your face so your lips would move. It was that cold. And Bill was so upset with having to step into that water even though it wasn't iced over, uh, he had wrapped his foot in saran wrap, and then he had a skin diver neoprene sleeve over his foot and ankle. Oh, wow. And then he had three pairs of socks, and then he stepped in that water, and it was still, as soon as he got out of that water, he was hopping on one foot and screaming, jumping back to the to the where. I guess it was an old store off Main Street that we ran into. Bill sat down. Three women ripped off his sock, his neoprene sleeve, his saran wrap, and started blow-drying his foot with three hair dryers. Now, Oh, wow. And then we'd, he'd have to wrap up, get ready again, and go into the water again. It was hilarious to watch. <laughs> but... That was the naughty one. But the, the nice one, if you have, have time for it, the nice one is really remarkable. And that's when Bill breaks the pencil, when he realizes the time has stopped. And he's at night, he's in his in room, and he breaks the pencil and he puts one of, part of the pencil on top of the clock radio and one on his bedside table. And then in the morning, Sonny and Cher plays and Bill wakes up and he looks to the bedside table and the pencil is whole. And when I saw that the first time with the full audience, the audience gasped. And the reason I love that so much is that scene was not really in the script at all. Oh, really? Originally in the script, uh, Bill and I shot First week, first day, first shot of the day was the two of us on the street. At the end of that first week was an enormous scene that took two, two and a half days of Bill realizing time had stopped and he had no consequences. And Bill, the in the scene, Bill spray paints his room at the end and then he pulls out a chainsaw and saws furniture in half and then he goes to the bathroom and cuts his hair into a mohawk and all of these things, and he realized, and it took, and if you know anything about film, anything you paint, you have to unpaint. Anything you cut in half, you have to have a double, you have to repair. Any, the wig he had uh, was done by one of the famous wig makers on Broadway, and to, to have a mohawk, I mean, those wigs cost 10 grand. So it was an enormous amount of money. It was the first week of shooting when studio executives are looking over Harold Ramis's shoulder to say, show me what this movie's going to be. We want to know if we need to pull the plug on this or if this thing is money well spent. Harold Ramis, at the end of those two and a half days, shot all that footage that was in the script, crazy, wild Bill Murray at his best. I'm sure it was hilarious. And then he cut the scene out of the movie. 
And Harold Ramis said to Danny Rubin, the writer, he says, what are we doing here? What's the story we telling? Are we telling the story of Bill being crazy or we, is it a story about man and how he uses time and the consequences of using time? And Harold Ramis removed that two and a half days of filming with the simple shot of Bill breaking a pencil and putting half on the radio, half on the table, and it becoming whole. And that is when poetry became part of Groundhog Day and not just Bill being hilarious, which he is all the time anyway. Right. That moment. And when I saw that with a full audience and the audience gasping at film magic, that the pencil became whole, (laughs) you know, which it didn't, of course, it's just another pencil, but they believed it came true. And that I thought catapulted that entire movie into the direction of being not just a Bill Murray comedy where he's hilarious and we all enjoy watching what Bill does, but into a movie about man and our consequences and time And it became the iconic film you talk about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 100%. And I mean, I think that scene is so strong because, you know, we're seeing it through visual storytelling instead of just kind of being handed it as an audience member, which granted, I I appreciate it anyway, because I'm, you know, someone who loves film. But I, I love that story about just stripping it bare and getting it to its essence and I just think that's so interesting. Yes, yes, and uh, so the, the, so those those were kind of my favorites. I mean, there I have so many, I have so many odd, weird favorite moments of that movie. Uh, you know, there was the uh, local, not from Woodstock, and not from Chicago, but from somewhere in between, a local reporter who wanted to do interviews with people and she met me in the bar after the screening and she said you know what's it like being an extra in in a big bill murray movie like this i said well uh, you know excuse me you know let me just let me just beg to disagree with you here you know i'm not really an extra i mean i i do have lines i am in the union and I have a name. Right. And in the movie, when you have a name like Ned Ryerson, you're not an extra. You should, well, really, you're kind of just, you know, you really don't have much of I said, well, I do. I have a very good part, actually. And and she was a very su- sweet woman, uh, but I ended up strangling her at ah. the bar. I, I grabbed <laughs> oh her God. around the throat and began throttling her at the bar. And I go, I am not an extra in this movie. And even though I'm very glad that she did bring charges against me and we remained friends after the film, she thought it was all kind of in good fun. Uh, but I keep wanting to go. You see, right? people like me, they know my name, not an extra. <laughs> Never tell an actor they're an extra unless you're an extra. <laughs> Then you're happy to be called <laughs> right. <the next> day. <laughs> right. I love that. Well, and I mean, I think I granted from my perspective, I see you in a lot of things and I, I always enjoy your performance and 
And this is the film that I always kind of come back to when, you know, when I'm talking to other people about you, I always say, you know, oh, he was Ned in Groundhog's Day. And they immediately know who I'm talking about. And and I think that's a testament to, one, how good the movie is, and two, you know, how what a great performer you are in general. Well, well, thanks for And I'm not an extra. <laughs> and and I, I think what was amazing about Groundhog Day was the feeling we got after Harold threw that scene away. Mm. You know, suddenly he and Danny started rewriting the script and changing act three to the end of act. The, the movie kind of used to end sort of around where Bill tries to commit suicide and can't do it. Oh. And then they started adding all of the stuff at the end that Bill does, helping the ladies with the flat tire and saving the kid from the tree and uh, all and trying to save the old man and not being able to save the all of the things that make Groundhog Day an A film. Right. And not just an ordinary raucous comedy is the beauty of what they added after Harold Ramis decided to throw away the wild and crazy scene and said, let's take this movie seriously. And Danny Rubin is, of course, a very serious writer. And he accommodated and the movie became something quite amazing. And while we were shooting, while we were on Will Notifies with no time off, we're getting pages hot off the press. And I'm looking at these pages and I'm thinking, damn, what are we in? This movie is changing before my eyes and into something miraculous. And believe me, a lot of times in movies, you see the rewrites and you're going like, oh, no. <laughs> Right. Oh, this is going to be so bad. Oh, God. Oh, God. No. But with Groundhog Day, you know, we saw the rewrites and we thought, this is magnificent. And it it turned out to be quite magnificent, more, more magnificent than we ever thought. It is, there are a million ways a film could go wrong. You could have bad acting. Certainly, you can have a predictable script. You could have bad music. You could have bad credits. You know, you could have something that stinks up the joint. But Groundhog Day is one of those films that, to my mind, is very close to being a perfect film a a for a comedy. You know, it is a perfect film. The music is perfect. Bill is perfect. The scenes move beautifully. The script is amazing. You know, if you think about it, I'm kind of in the first third of the movie. Uh, not only does the day repeat itself, but structurally within the script, you have the repeated early part of the day when Bill meets me. Then it moves to the middle part of the day that is repeated when he is at the cafe at lunch and he and he writes down on the pad of paper, we have to stay ahead of the weather. For, for Aunt, You know, we have the middle part of the movie, and then it moves to night. So within the fact that the day is repeated, as an audience, we are treated to multiple mornings, multiple afternoons, and multiple nights. So there is a repetition within a repetition. I mean, it's a brilliant, brilliant script, brilliant structure. 
Absolutely. Well, and it's still like the film is just so much fun to watch still from from start to finish. I mean, when I was originally doing the main interview for this episode, I, it had been a while since I'd seen it. And it still makes me laugh out loud throughout the whole thing, even though I know all the lines. And it's fun to watch, you know, Bill Murray's character, who is this guy who feels like he owns it all. He knows it all. But, you know he's kind of wasting the time that he has and then by the end of the film he's he's trying to figure out a way to make his time more meaningful to make his time more fulfilling which i mean i think is a great message in general yes and and this is what i bring up too in terms of script why ned is is such a memorable role just in terms of the script before phil connors bill murray meets ned Bill is the antagonist of the film, right? He's stuck up. He's a jerk. He's full of himself, whatever. Then he meets Ned, and suddenly Bill is the uh, protagonist of the script because Ned is such a jerk that, that suddenly, as an audience, we go like, we're on Bill's side when he's dealing with Ned for the first time in the movie. We, we're... We're in Bill's shoes. And and so Ned is kind of the prism that changes it from us seeing Bill as the other guy, the guy we don't want to be, to being the guy that we are. Like you said at the beginning, oh, we all know who Ned is. Yeah. We've met him. We know him in our life. That is the moment in which the audience viewing this film secretly seeps into Bill's character and we become Bill. And then Bill takes us the rest of the way to his journey of um, becoming his better self is a simple way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, well, as we're, you know, kind of wrapping things up now, I did just want to say, you know, thank you so much for coming on and, and giving such an insight. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I did also uh, want to throw it out there that my dad has actually recently found your podcast, The Dablowski Files, yes. and uh, is a fan. He thinks your content is absolutely great. And so I did want to throw that out there for him. But, you know, as we're wrapping up, is there anything else that you'd like to say about Groundhog's Day or, you know, any of the projects that you're working on currently just before we... Yeah, gr well, Groundhog Day is one of the great movies I was lucky to be a part of. Another great movie I was lucky to be a part of was uh, Memento. Oh, yes, that's right. And another is Mississippi Burning. And, and kind of the reason why I've had longevity in my career is that I've been lucky enough to be a villain in Mississippi Burning lucky enough to be Ned in Groundhog Day. And then from that point on, usually an actor is imprisoned in TV sitcoms for the rest of their life. But I had the chance with Memento to go back to do serious things. That is the luck of it. So if you're an actor out there, always say yes and say yes to different things because that opens a lot of doorways. Wonderful. And and yeah, I mean, great, solid advice for, you know, new actors, new generations of actors uh, coming up. If 
you know, if we're ever allowed to go back to the if movies. We're ever allowed. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, thank you so much for coming on the show and giving us your insight and, you know, your your memories and thoughts and and also thank you so much for taking the time to to speak with me. My pleasure, my pleasure. Uh, it's always fun to talk about Groundhog with people who are enthusiasts. I love it. Thank you so much. Another huge, huge thank you to Stephen Jablowski for coming on the show and talking about his experience working on Groundhog's Day as the infamous and iconic Ned Ryerson. Now, I know that this episode is longer than usual, um, but I hope you had as much fun as I did creating it. And I will keep this brief. Uh, If you like the show and you want more, and you just can't get enough film content, well, one, go ahead and go back to listen to episodes one through ten, if you haven't already. Uh, We've got a lot of good stuff going on there. And don't forget to tell your family and friends, and rate, review, and subscribe the show, because it always helps us out a lot. Uh, And additionally, if you just can't wait for more film content, you need more all the time, every day, you can head over to our Instagram, at scopophilia underscore podcast, or you can follow us on TikTok at scopophilia the podcast. And now, actually, additionally, you can join us on Facebook. We just started a Facebook group. If you type in scopophilia, you will find us. Uh, it is private, so I will have to let you in myself personally, but it is a place where everybody can kind of meet and talk about their favorite films. So I hope to see you all there. And, uh, and let's just, uh, let's have a chat about films. As always, I'm your host, Becky Teller, here on Scopophilia, leading the millennial movie movement. And I'll see you all next Friday. Bye.